Bibles to the book of Proverbs, chapter 16. In your bulletin, there's the first nine verses and verse 33 of Proverbs 16. I'll be uh, reading that and we'll be digging into that today. There's also a brief outline in your worship booklet as well. We've been looking at ancient truths, ancient wisdom for modern times and gleaning from God's Word the truth of what it means to grow in wisdom. Proverbs 16 is our launching point today for a a biblical consideration of wise planning and providence. And we've heard in Proverbs the call of wisdom. The call of wisdom goes out to the fool, the fool who says in their heart, there is no God. But to those who that call goes out to effectively and savingly, that begins in that foolish heart a change and transformation to having a fear of the Lord. That's the beginning of wisdom. As the book of Proverbs again and again points out to us, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And we start by acknowledging that God's the judge of all and that in His judgment we fall short of His glory. We fall short of His perfect standard. And so we're under His just judgment, which is wrath and curse. But again, as we understand and grow in the fear of the Lord, we begin to understand what has happened is that God's wrath has been poured out on Christ, that God made Him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And so as we understand and grow in the fear of the Lord, that dread fear of judgment starts to change and grow into an awe and wonder of the great love that God has shown us in Christ who took our punishment that we deserved, but that brought us peace. And so I pray that today we would grow in the fear of the Lord, that we would in turn grow in wisdom. And so as this morning we consider wise planning and the providence of God, follow along in your scriptures as I read Proverbs chapter 16. This is God's holy and inspired, authoritative word. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the, way, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. The Lord has make, made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. The heart of man plans his way but the Lord establishes his steps. And verse 33, the lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us great wisdom from your word, and we thank you that, Lord Jesus, you are the wisdom from on high given to us. Lord, we thank you that as we uh, humble ourselves under your word, you lift us up in due season. As we acknowledge your power and your sovereignty and your control, your rule over our lives, 
we really are in a better place. We are in the right place that you've designed us to function best in where we find our direction from you and our guidance from you. Lord, I pray as we consider this uh, subject of wise planning, Lord, that you would give us eyes to see from your word the truth that we need to see. And then, Lord, by your same spirit, would you give us the power and the courage to live out that truth as well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I was thinking this week of wise planning and thinking of the variety of choices, decisions, and plans that we have to make throughout our life, I started to scope out, you know, some of those questions that we have to answer at certain stages in our life, commonly certain ages and stages. There's overlap in these, but there's just tons of decisions and plans that we really have to think about. In our teenage years, we plan to get our license and get a car. What will we do after high school? Will we get a job? Will we get more education? Will we join the military? When do we move out? Where will we live? Do we rent? Do we buy? Do I want to be a city person, a country person, a suburb person? What church will we commit to and serve in? By your 20s and 30s, you're planning when and if you should get married and who should it be and when will we start a family and how many children will we have? How will we educate them and train them in the admonition and nurture of the Lord? Do I get life insurance? Do I get disability insurance? How do I invest for the future? How much? In your 30s and 40s, you're deciding if your children are going to play sports or play instruments, one or two or three. Are they going to do drama? Are they going to do singing and dance? Are they going to plug into church or school or sports activities or the perfect balance of all of those things? In your 50s and 60s, we're making plans about caring for our aging parents. Do we move to live near them, or do we seek to move them to live near us? Is is it possible for them to live on their own, or is there a point where they need to come and live with us, or in some tier of assisted living that might fit where they're at? If so, which one? Where? Will I retire? Will I do something else? In our 70s and beyond, we think about how long we might have on earth. How are we preparing and mentoring the future generations? What's the best way to remain productive? How do we provide for and consider our failing health and even our death? Oh, yeah, and that will that I always intended to write. I should probably get around to doing that. Full of even more decisions about where will my estate go and how will my finances be given away or how do I downsize this house and move into something smaller? Do you get overwhelmed sometimes thinking of how many decisions there are, those major big life decisions? And then there's millions of little decisions along the way that we have to make as well that affect the big plants and the big picture. And we are all kind of different in our temperaments. Probably some of you are mega planners. You're like to the nth degree. You got everything figured out and you've well thought out ahead of time. And then some of you are just really laid back and you just go with the flow. Okay, sera, sera, what will be, will be. And things just kind of happen and maybe surprise you and you have to react. And planning is 
different for different people as we factor in our personalities. But sometimes, uh, just broadly speaking, we, we fall into these two categories of either micromanaging our lives to the nth degree or acting as if, you know, God's got everything figured out, I'll just kind of kick back. And so, that seems like it's trusting the Lord, but sometimes it can be a cover for negligence and not being responsible. And on the other hand, planning everything to the ninth, nth degree could seem to be super responsible, but failing really to trust God with the details of your life. And so, we need clarity from God's Word, how to plan, what's our responsibility, what is God providentially in control of, and how do we plan righteously and wisely in light of His providence. So we'll look at wise planning is our responsibility, and then providence is God's sovereign will at work, and then figure out how do we plan in light of God's providence. Look at verse 1, right off the bat. Wise planning is our responsibility. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. In these first verses, we're going to have a going back and forth of what's man's responsibility and then what's God's part in those plans. The first point here is that the words belong to man. These plans of the heart belong to man indicate ownership, uh, responsibility. The responsibility to plan is part of God's design for human beings. When God put Adam and Eve in the garden and said, you shall have dominion over the earth and the seas and everything in it, Uh, you are to make plans and to develop them. That was before the fall of man into sin. How much, how important is it to, for us to make plans today? So we, we were created to, to plan and steward what we've been given. We've been given a mandate to do that. We're not just like simple animals and creatures that have a stimulus outside of us and then we have some sort of natural instinct that we just respond. We're more than that. We think through and reason and put together plans for living. Those plans of the heart is the way they're described in verse 1. That's what's going on, not just in our emotions. The heart is not just the emotions, if you you know that. It's your intellect, it's your emotions, it's, it's your will, your affections, your desires. All of that is in a man's heart, and that's where the planning takes place. The answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Once that actually gets out into the real world with a verbal answer, that's when it's done. That's when it's, it's fixed. Uh, once you speak, you can't get those words back. That's, it's out there. And it kind of indicates that we can make plans. We can have plans that are intentions. But what's actually going to take place is what the Lord speaks, what He declares. In verse 2, all the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the Spirit. The idea here is that there, that there are motives and desires and attitudes that are connected to the decisions and plans. It's, it's not just a logical tree of thought and order. There are intentions and desires and motives that all factor into there. And so they could be pure in our own eyes. We could judge we're doing this for the right reason, with the right attitude, with the right motivation, right? Because part of our planning can't be just what we're going to do, but it's going to be, well, what's our motive going to be in doing that? 
And so we ought to acknowledge that usually when we go about doing a plan, we think we're right about it and we think we're handling it the right way. But that's in our own minds. The second part of the verse says, but the Lord weighs the spirit. If you think of the, the balances, the scales, and God's judgment of what our motives and our spirit truly is, is what is accurate. It's not always the way that we perceive things. What this is basically saying is we have to have an objective standard from outside of us to check our spirit, to check our motives, to make sure we're pure in what we're doing. And that rolls right into verse 3, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. A part of planning is ultimately to commit it to the Lord. You work it out, you think it out, you apply biblical principles and truths, you apply, apply the best information that you have about the situation, but eventually you're going to put that plan into action and commit it to the Lord. Is it tough for you to finally make that commitment? I kind of enjoy the planning stage a whole lot better than the actually having to, all right, now we commit. I remember in 2004 when we were just wrestling over the next vehicle that we were going to buy. We had four kids. We needed the minivan, right? So I'm looking at every make of minivan known to man, and I was test driving. I was looking at the reports, the safety, the reliability, all the factors that went into that, and finally we decided on the Toyota minivan that we got. And I pulled into the garage, and I'm like, did I make the right choice? Is it really the, you know, but I already signed on the dotted line. I already committed the funds to go to it. It was done. When we look at how we commit our work to the Lord, this has uh, the Hebrew word, a connotation of, of rolling that onto the Lord, that the burden of that decision and its outcomes is God's responsibility. Okay, so we start to get into this philosophy and this mentality towards wise planning is that as much as you try to plan and be faithful and do the right thing, at some point you have to entrust that decision to the Lord, commit it to Him, and just let Him do what He's going to do. Your desires, and it's interesting how this goes along with what we understand prayer to be. Uh, our shorter catechism says that prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God for things that are agreeable to His will. We give our desires, and we see if it agrees with His will. If it doesn't, then we have to change and shift. And so when we commit these works to the Lord, the, the plans will be then established. If He wants to change the plan or switch the plan or delay the plan, that's in God's right to do. Let's look at that providence. Let's look at what is God's sovereign control. Because He's the king, because he is the ruler of all, he has the authority over all of his creatures and all their actions. He has the right to call the shots. And he also has the power to do that in his omnipresence, his omnipotence. He is able to follow through on whatever those plans are. So providence is, is, is about the enacting of his will and his plan that he made before the foundations of the earth. It's the working it out. So verse 4 says, the Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. 
Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. So what does God's providential and sovereign control extend to? Verse 4, the Lord has made everything for his purpose. Everything in the Hebrew means everything. There's nothing that's outside of his control and his purpose and plan. Every page of the Bible, we see that God is in control, that he's in charge, that there's not one stray molecule in the universe that God is not Lord over and King over. And so those day-by-day, moment-by-moment decisions that we have to make are all under his sovereign care and control. Our Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 11, asks, what are God's works of providence? And it says, God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. Universal. All his creatures, all their actions. And he's powerfully preserving and governing overall. He's the supreme power. There's no power over him. And so when we talk about God's sovereignty and his providence, we're looking at the way that God works out his plan to be our king. And that's good for us. And we ought to celebrate that. So he has made everything for its purpose. And he expands on that, the second part of verse 4, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Okay, so the wicked are those who are saying, God says he's in charge. God says he's king. I don't want that. I'm going to rebel against that. The wicked are saying, I'm going to do what I want to do. And the author of Proverbs is saying, even the person who says, I'm going to do what I want to do, is still under the control of God. The person who is thinking that they're so in charge and so doing what they want are actually under God's control. He's made them even for the day of trouble. So this is probably at its pinnacle in history, in time and space, when Jesus goes to the cross. And as, as uh, Peter describes in Acts chapter 2, he just drops this truth bomb on the hearers and on us when he says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, losing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. God had a plan. That plan involved the death of his son as a sacrifice for our sins. And God even superintended over the wicked men who put Jesus to death. And Peter makes no bones about it. These are wicked men. They are going to be responsible. They're going to be judged for their decisions. But make no bones about it. God was in control over all that to bring glory to himself. Look, this is a mystery. It's hard to wrap our minds around. But I'm only saying what God says, and I got to trust it, if it's true in the most rebellious and wicked act that ever happened, that God is in control over that, then I can be convinced that he's in control of everything else today. From that major point in redemptive history 
the small points in my life history are surely under his watch care and his perfect planning. And you know, on top of that, the author of Proverbs uh, 16 adds to that uh, in verse 33, even the lot is cast and God is in control of that. The lot is like rolling the dice to come up with a random uh, a response. There's nothing random or chance with God. Everything is under His plan. Does that encourage you? Does that help you as you think about your planning and your part in what happens in life? And we just see so clearly that God is in control of everything, and it works its way out day by day, even in our lives. So how do we plan in light of that providence? I, as I think about it and as I'm walking through this, it could be easy for me just to slip into, okay, well, if God has so much control, then I could just let, let him have it, just, just kind of kick back. But I can't forget the t- things that he tells me are my responsibility, do make plans. So look at verse 6, the way that it's laid out for us. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. Now these, these verses are actually really significant for understanding how... God's judgment of our planning relates to our right standing before God. It's pretty amazing to see the correlation of what he says, iniquity being atoned for. What do you think of when you think of atonement? You think of the day of atonement? You think of the the sacrifice in the Old Testament, this spotless lamb that is slain so that iniquity or sin could be forgiven. And in part of his covenantal agreement and his relationship with his people, steadfast love and faithfulness is the bedrock for his forgiveness of our sins. And so this word sometimes translated covenant love, steadfast love and faithfulness, it points us to the way that God through this spotless lamb would atone for and make our sins forgiven. It pointed those in the Old Testament towards a Messiah that would come and to rest in Him. And we recognize God's love and His faithfulness to provide the sacrifice for our sins. And what does that begin to work in us? It begins to grow in us an awe and a wonder for what He did. That's when we grow in the fear of the Lord that's rooted in God's sacrifice for us. And so this, by the fear of the Lord, we start to turn from evil. We don't make those choices because we've been transformed. Our sins have been forgiven. Let me put it the way that Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 5. He says this, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died and that he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. Do you see that? That sacrifice that atones for our sin points us to the steadfast love and faithfulness of this God who would ultimately give his son. And he gave his son so that he could buy you for himself. See, that love compels us. That love constrains us to make choices, to make plans that will glorify him. 
that will make him and that will please him. So it's really amazing to see how the planning of a believer that's truly humbled by Christ's sacrifice for them is, is transformed into making choices that are Christ-centered, that Jesus is at the center of your planning and your purposing. And that starts to change the trajectory of your life because usually (laughs) coming into this world, we're just thinking of ourselves. We cry, we scream to get our way. And so when Jesus compels us by His love to no longer live for self but to live for Him, things start to change in the direction of our lives. Can you get a taste of what it looks like if we were to surrender to Christ and and to His will? And this will work out our plans for His good, for our good and for His glory. Now, don't be confused. This isn't going to, this doesn't mean that everything turns out rainbows and unicorns for you. Uh, You commit your ways to the Lord and you make plans. They don't all turn out right. They don't all turn out the way that we expect them to turn out. But God's purposes are sometimes to perfect us and to refine us. Sometimes they're to expand the kingdom through our suffering. Other believers are encouraged and built up. There's so many things that God, in His providential working out of the plans, is doing amazing things. And if we can get our mindset to just marvel at the amazing things that God does, even through some of the difficult and painful things, we're going to be much better off, and we're going to have a, a much better perspective on our plans. Look how this section wraps around again in verse 11. It's a repeat of verse 1, but you're saying these words now with everything that we have gleaned out of Proverbs 16, and it wraps around to this this point for the big and the little things of life, the heart of the man plans his way, but the Lord has established his steps. I know that planning can kind of take on a cold and sterile feel. I went to a uh, how to do personal planning seminar, oh, back in the 90s. It was a Franklin Covey planner thing using the Palm Pilot. I think I had a Palm Pilot 3. Young people, you don't know what that's all about. But I learned that I had to have uh, my goals, and I had to have my purpose, I had to have goals, and then I had to have priorities. And then as I planned my day, I would have a prioritized daily task list. I'd give it A's, B's, and C's, and one, twos, and threes. And, you know, that helped me a little bit. Um, It didn't revolutionize the way that I looked at planning. Because, you know, some of us are just not, you know, type A people who are really good at organization and fitting stuff together. That doesn't mean that planning is out of your future or that you're not responsible for your own planning. But it is clear that it's not so much about strategy, it's not so much about logistics, but it's about your view towards planning and the where does God fit into that planning that's really going to give you a peace, that's going to give you a security as you make plans that are responsible 
and then you give that to the Lord. You know, um, I know that one of the ladies' Bible study groups is starting to meet this week, and for the entire fall, they're going to be really digging into Psalm 23. I know this because my wife is so excited, and she keeps talking to me about it. So I want to conclude by looking, by reading Psalm 23. And in light of our shepherd who leads and guides us, consider how you'll go about your planning for those big decisions you may have coming up soon and those little decisions along the way, knowing this, that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father and shepherd of our hearts, we ask for courage.